Welcome everybody to our Conversations on Gifted Trauma podcast. The, today we are going to be discussing uh, part three of our series on boundaries, which we began over a year ago. And the previous parts were based on the themes of aliveness and on coherence. And we were looking at boundaries from these three aspects. So aliveness, coherence, and organization. Um, so if you're looking to, to plug back in and, um, and have a clear sense of what the uh, aliveness and coherence themes are all about, then you can listen to parts one and two. And um, in brief, to give you a little overview, the idea is that aliveness is about having an awareness of our life force of that vital energy that we all carry. And um, how do we design and, um, and uh, plan our boundaries around fostering aliveness for ourselves and for others? And then in the theme of coherence, we discussed the idea of um, parts in a system relating to each other in ways that uh, maintain the, the um, cohesiveness of that system and so how that relates to our boundaries has to do with having clear reference points uh, of our context of the world around us so that we can navigate our life with clear boundaries. And today we're going to be talking about organization, which is um, an aspect of boundaries where we're looking at um, an internally driven organization. And the idea from a systems perspective is that every part contributes to the whole. Um, and that is how systems are self-organized with, you know, um, from everything from the smallest systems to the biggest systems for our bodies, for instance, all the cells uh, form organs and the organs form systems. And then we have our whole body and every single part is contributing to the whole. So the idea of an organization that's a self-organization, it's driven from within, is that, um, that each part then has a, an inherent purpose. And that when we um, align ourselves with a sense of clear purpose, then our boundaries follow and um, many of the possible distractions and things that we could place our attention on then fall away. So that's an overview of how we are tackling the theme of organization today. And here with me, of course, is Jennifer Harvey Salon. And um, we're going to be diving deep into how trauma can thwart our sense of self-organization and how, what we can do about it and how we've experienced it ourselves. So hi, Jen. Hi, Karin. It's lovely to be with you as always. Uh, and here. thanks for the yes of course and thanks for the, the yeah clear introduction um i think a lot of people already probably listening are shaking their heads going yes please uh tell me more about how i can align with that purpose and make the distractions fall away uh, especially right now especially yeah. on the internet especially with the times that we're in and so on yes yeah yeah, I was thinking that as you were talking, it's, it's, you know, it's been, you had said it's been uh, nearly a year since we did the last episode. And I think we started 
I don't recall, but maybe last May or something with with this <laughs> series of the boundary conversations. And God, what a year, right? Um, yes. All the things that we've gone through on, on, on the collective level and a lot of people really feeling like um, the total need to reorganize. I mean, mm. you know, from, from the inside out uh, because, we, well, we've been sort of forced to stay more local and you know mentally and physically and socially and everything else and um I think it's very it's it's very you know it's interesting timing that we're doing this now and not even a year ago you know if we would have had this conversation a year ago I think a lot of people would have even been in a different place speaking of distractions you know when we have all of the options open to us and we can do whatever we want it can be extremely distracting and we can be you know chasing a million things in a million directions. Um, but when we have the constraints that are put on us by the something like our current pandemic and all of the other things that are going on in the world right now, yeah, we kind of have to start looking at things and going, okay, how am I actually designing my life? And where does my purpose plug into the challenges that, uh, that are going on right now? And how do I self-organize in that direction? That's a bit of a meta level, but at the same time, I mean, like you said, all all parts contribute to the whole, and uh, you know, we are part of the system, and we are a system in ourselves as well. So, yeah, and I I personally find that perspective right now very very comforting and grounding yeah. in the midst of the upheaval and the chaos to think that um, I'm still a part of the system and I can yeah. still contribute to the whole. And that's kind of been my, um, my, my North star yeah. throughout all the upheaval to think everything that I do adds up and everything that I hold inside myself. So that self-organization piece, everything that I hold inside myself is going to radiate outwards and it's going to either contribute to the chaos or it's going to help mitigate it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it makes me think a lot about, you know, I'm doing, of course, through my work and you know this, uh, since we work together, uh, I'm doing so much work in terms of leadership development for well, myself as the, as the first guinea pig, but uh, for lots of other people as well. And especially in the gifted world uh, and the climate and ecological engagement world. And, um, you know, when we're looking at how do we, how do we lead ourselves and how do we lead other people in times like this, uh, in these in these really complex challenges that we're in, um, you know, helping people to see where they can plug in is essential. Like, where do they where do they fit in in terms of self leadership and then in, in terms of leading other people? But when somebody comes from a background of trauma or hasn't been able to organize in a safe way, uh, self organize in a safe way, it's like they can. I, I mean, I'm having a lot of people tell me this these days, which is why I'm, I'm bringing it up. They can feel like this, you know, strong drive to self-organize into the whole. So to contribute to the whole and then get really stuck on the way or um, maybe even be, I see this a lot, like operating in parallel to the whole. Mm. You know? Yeah. So they're doing things that are, that are, you know, leadership development, or they are doing some leading, but it's like not really plugged into, you know, the the main point right now. So they're making sort of progress in a parallel way, but it's it's, it's not aligned to the whole collective whole. Um, and so, yeah, I'm finding a lot of people 
getting particularly stuck around those issues at this time. I mean, there are obviously people who are like not interested at all and and I mean mm -hmm. at least they don't they're not aware of being interested in contributing the whole. But for those who are right now and who want to take a leadership position, even if it's just self-leadership, like strong self-leadership in that direction, I'm finding right now that that's a it's a real challenge for people who haven't already developed uh, a sense of safety in self-organizing and a sense of clarity and and stuff. So I mean, obviously, we'll discuss that more today in terms of the gifted trauma and how that can play into kind of living in you know in these parallel parallel directions and not really plugging into um, the collective reality. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or just yeah. kind of, at, you know, sitting at the edge of the collective reality going, I just don't have a, a way to get in there. I just, I'm not sure where to go or how to even start engaging. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. So where did you want to start with this? Because it's such a rich topic precisely because of the moment. Absolutely. Well, it's interesting because um, I've had a lot of, a lot come up lately around educational trauma. Mm. Uh, gifted educational trauma. And I think that it's a really relevant topic as we look at how we organize and how we see ourselves fitting into the whole. So um, I grew up in the US and the educational system was, was what it is. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I learned things, but especially um, as an American, we didn't really learn about, we learned about world history vaguely you know, we were supposed to memorize facts and people who were really into history, world history or something, maybe they, they learned more things. But I mean, America is known for kind of being an insular nation in many ways. Mm -hmm. um, and so I didn't, I mean, I grew up sort of with this um, ideology around being, you know, uh, in the greatest nation on earth and with these kinds of politics of inevitability that we were gonna just, um, you know, continue to be great because that was our destiny. And so kind of almost like this consumeristic, like childish, you don't have to really um, mature and find your place in the whole, you just get to sort of like have fun for the rest of your life. Yeah, you have to work and stuff, but it's, there wasn't this sense of like becoming really, um, I'm going to say a moral leader, even though the word moral could have all kinds of problematic connotations. And I don't mean it like that, but, you know, somebody who's really engaged at a high level in, um, in, in, you know, collective well-being, mm -hmm. collective being beyond just the American system, for example. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, specifically, like as it relates to the ecological stuff, uh, you know, there was a lot of human exceptionalism taught. So uh, it was like, if you are human, then you also don't have to really engage in the complex ecosystems beyond human because human is is the best. And, and that's the thing that's just gonna continue to be supreme. Right. The destiny is already a given. Yeah. So yeah. aside from anything that, anything that was going on for any of us in our personal worlds in family life, for example, um, or other, you know, potential areas like related to gender or related to like gender roles, you know, and expectations um, or whatever else we had going on in terms of like gifted uh, loneliness or something like that. 
there's also this kind of educational thing that seems really key for a lot of people getting off track mm-hmm. or, n- or maybe it's not even getting off track. It's kind of like never getting on track kind of thing. Yeah. In terms of how do you really, how, how do you live in a collective and, um, and, and be like, bring your aliveness and the coherence of your local self into um, into a harmonious organization with the whole system. Yeah. And when there's a mirroring from the outside that there's, there could be only chaos in many ways. Only you know, chaos, you said? Yeah, only chaos. So yeah. uh, I, I hear this a lot from clients that are sort of disgusted with the state of the world uh, and despairing at the prospect of engaging. Yeah, because everything seems so hopeless or the conversations are so overdone like there's less to see it would seem that there's room for nothing new yeah and I think what's what's really tough is like for me you know finding my path of engagement has been and you know this because you're you work with me all the time behind the scenes has been about so much learning relearning you know like getting a full new education by my own direction. Um, And the amount of work I've put into doing that is like huge. And there have been so many times that I'm like, I'm exhausted. I don't, I don't want to relearn everything. And yet I'm like, that's the only way I can self-organize toward, um, toward realistic engagement, like grounded realistic engagement in the collective, like the, the reality, as opposed to, you know, doing some sort of parallel thing. And, what what I think is and why I bring up the educational stuff is like if you have and, and maybe for a lot of listeners like this is the first time they're hearing the term educational trauma so I will say that exists mm. um, that can happen in a million different ways for a lot of gifted people it happens because of uh, not being recognized gifted and having to you know cope slow down um, <clears throat> deal with education that's not matched to your level of thinking and speed and complexity and so on and so forth. Um, so it can be gifted, gifted specific, and it can also be. Um, oh, I'll add one uh, one kind of gifted specific trauma is having teachers be um, jealous or mm-hmm. uh, competitive or antagonistic with you. That's something I've heard a lot of. But it can also be then something sort of not gifted. I mean, this can have a gifted specific component, but it can not. It can be non gifted specific in the sense of like what I was talking about with my education in the US, um, sort of this kind of, a lot of these ideologies that were taught that were really unhelpful for me as a developing human that was gonna have to contribute to the whole later on, like whole global community. I was absolutely not educated in a way that would help me to stand up and be a leader, um, Mm -hmm. you know, in, in, in a very, you know, connected way to the collective, engaged and, you know, central way to the collective. Um, and whereas, for example, now that I, you know, work with people from all over the world, I hear a lot of people from other places as well saying that they had experiences very different than mine. Like I think of the French system, Mm. the French educational system that puts a lot of pressure on, um, I can't, it's, it's even hard to like put into words. And it's funny when I'm working with my clients who grew up in the French 
educational system, they struggle to put words to it too. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's this there's this pressure to really be an intellectual or sound like an intellectual or yes. seem like an intellectual. And the system is so competitive um, that people come out of it like never having developed a basic sense of self-esteem when it comes to their education. Yeah. Um, or maybe having all of these ideologies from what it means to quote, be an intellectual, which in, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm giving kind of one little idea of it. So this is not to say all, everybody who went through the French system got this problem or something, but um, <clears throat> for a lot of people I worked with, the French system, you know, goes a lot into the French philosophies and uh, French literature, which has a, this, you know, theme of, existential angst and existential depression and that's glorified in yeah. a lot of the literature and so gifted people going through that system often confound intellectualism with or you know giftedness let's say giftedness with existential depression mm -hmm. and then find themselves stuck in this really weird loop where like it's better to be sad. It's better to be suffering or something because then that means that you succeeded because intellectuals suffer and it kind of all gets in this loop. And then how does somebody engage from that point of view in self-organizing to um, like generatively participate in the collective whole? It, it mm. just doesn't work, you know? So it's like all these educational paths can just take us sort of away from what we would need to learn and how we would need to develop uh, in order to be participating in the whole. And so like, you know, in my case, it's, it's been a lot of relearning, but for people who've been through um, even more like severe educational trauma, mm -hmm. um, it's not even just they're starting from a semi-neutral place and having to relearn a lot of things. They're like having to dig themselves out of the hole first yeah. You know, so to go through real healing or through like through maybe therapy uh, that that goes through the educational traumas that they've that they've experienced and, he, you know, getting to a sense of, you know, being at the not being underground and then building on that. So it can be, for a lot of people, it can be a really rough road and a long road. Absolutely. I know it was for me. Yeah, I'm curious, like if you're, as you're listening to me talk about the two systems, you know, I'm just picking two um, yeah. that are particularly salient for me, but you know, you grew up in Chile, like, and then you ended up in Canada with some of your education as well. So I'm curious what your experience was. Uh, it was, as you're saying, like the, it forced me to, well, it put me in a hole deeper, <laughs> deeper first. And then I had to really dig myself out. Um, so what I can say about what happened sort of from this cultural perspective uh, in, in my schooling and growing up in Chile. So I, I'm, my family moved to Canada when I was 19. So I had finished high school. I'd done a year of university and uh, then I started university over in Canada. And so um, what was interesting to me was that the uh, Chilean, I don't know, I, I don't want to speak for all of South America, but I feel like there's definitely some parallels between countries. There's a uh, fierce anti-intellectualism mm. in the collective. So like, if you read a book, you're going to get made fun of, like if you're reading books in public, or at least that's what it was when I was growing up. 
So there was this fierce anti-intellectualism making fun of people who uh, showed any intellectual interest and uh, sort of like taking them down a notch, mm-hmm. um, making sure that they're not getting like too big ahead, this kind of thing. So I was you know, uh, very demoralizing for a gifted person like myself um, because I couldn't not uh, engage intellectually. So it, it's, it, to me, it was really not a choice that I could make. I could tone it down, but it was not, it was never gonna be invisible to the outside. And so then there was this other polarity to the whole issue there, which was an issue of having to, um, one, once you are kind of uh, labeled uh, an intellectual person or a highly intelligent person, then there's a lot of expectations, like collective expectations that come with uh, the culture of being a little bit more collectivist than say the American, mm-hmm. uh, where you know family and community are highly important and, and other people's opinions are highly important of you. So like your standing in the community are, is huge. And so then it turned from being this like, haha, we're gonna make fun of you for being smarter than everybody else to, by the way, you also should carry all these expectations that we have of you. Hmm. So it was less of a chance to really find what is it that is, as we were saying at the beginning, what would be my purpose for like a self-driven, self-desired, purpose that arrives from that development of self-esteem that you were talking about Jen yeah Uh, so like the the combination or the the intersection of skills passion and engagement uh that was there was no room to develop that because it had to be well you're good at this so you're gonna do this and you're really like a high achiever so we expect you to find a cure for cancer we expect you to um be an astronaut we expect you to be a novel prize in physics like we expect you to be all these things um <laughs> luckily i didn't have that in my family itself so my parents were very supportive of me whatever i wanted to to create with my life but because i had the educational piece that you're describing where all my teachers had some kind of vested interest in me and they all had a different idea of what I should do with my life. Um, I was very, very conflicted. So even though I was choosing a path out of my own, you know, inner, inner drive of, of creating something that I felt would be meaningful, I felt conflicted and I felt so much guilt about the path that I was choosing, which at the end ended up being studying art. Again, yeah. something that, you know, in that educational system is like, you're going to waste all of your intelligence. <laughs> and I did get told this several times, you're going to waste all your intelligence to be an artist. Um, yeah. Yeah. Talk about educational trauma. Yeah. So, and then coming into um, Canada with the, you know, that North American mentality, I was lost because I didn't have anybody's expectations on me. Ah. I didn't know what to do with myself and I didn't know to what extent there was freedom there of choice and that's you know some of the the beauty and the gifts of having that kind of more individualistic society where there's like so much freedom of choice of the things that you can apply your intelligence to and I was like very confused for many years and it took me a really long time to realize that that this it was in part a discrepancy that came from educational trauma. 
and yeah, and then digging myself out. And as you were saying, um, re-educating myself, I guess would be a best, the best way to put it for myself, yeah. you know, re-educating myself with that sense of autonomy, connected autonomy. So yeah. it's like autonomy that's not insular, again, as you were saying, yeah. but an autonomy that's like, okay, inside of me, there's a, an inner organization. How do I plug that in? How do I connect it while honoring it fully? Yeah. Yeah, it's been a long path. Yeah, it is a long path. And it's interesting, you brought up two important points because I think I've met with so many people who, you know, they they don't even recognize the trauma that's there. First of all, because uh, a lot of people don't talk about educational trauma. I mean, you say mm -hmm. the word and people go, well, what is that? Is that like, you know, a teacher abused you or something? No, it right. doesn't have to be. I mean, yeah, that would be, be. but... Um, but that would be an extreme case. It can be something that's more akin to uh, complex PTSD, where it's like the the death by a what is the the saying? Death by a thousand paper cuts, a million paper yes. cuts, something like this, where <clears throat> it, it's a lot of these little things that are happening that are accumulating. It's not that anybody sought to hurt you or mm -hmm. um, that the education system, you know, uh, the the people who drew up the plans for the education system like all got together in some sort of evil plan room and you know decided to ruin your life it's like it's just the ideologies that are that are um organizing the society at the time mm -hmm. and i mean as we know a lot of ideologies are really harmful to individuals yeah. and so yeah. um <clears throat> so it, you know it's 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 sort of this this hard thing to talk about because it's not like one day that person did this violent thing to me. Um, and so I need to heal from it. It's like, I was, you know, steeped in a semi-toxic situation for a really long time. And it may not have even been toxic to the people around. And I think that's what is quite challenging or it may not have been in any obvious way toxic to the people around. That's what mm. can be really challenging about the gifted, gifted specific experience because like, you know, I went through the same schooling as the people around me and they seemed to manage okay. And then I was the one yeah. having all these troubles. And so it's, it can be hard for the gifted person to um, legitimize what, what was suffering for them. And so coming out of that, then you sort of find yourself unable to name what happened to you, identify mm -hmm. what happened to you. And if nobody's talking about it on the outside, then um, it's hard. I mean, you can be very smart, but that doesn't mean you understand everything. And it doesn't mean that you can come up with names for all of the things that happened to you that don't yet have a collective uh, recognition or a name or something, you know, some, yeah. some sort of way of identifying it. So a lot of people are walking around with this stuff, just like not able to, to even notice that it's there. But two signs that can help you notice if it's there is the conflict that you described and the guilt. Yeah. Um, what are other ways that you've seen this show up for clients? What are sort of signs that, and here we're focusing on the educational aspect. I think it's fair for me to add a couple other things in there. Educational, obviously, like I said, comes out of um, ideologies and those ideologies also show up in, oftentimes in families because it's usually a societal ideology. Um, so it can be more like, let's say, you know, sort of attachment type traumas that are happening in the family or um, in other things that are driven by ideologies of the day, the, the latest and most 
popular ideologies of the day. Um, and that can be also like religions or we both have like sort of weird parallel stories about me growing up in an evangelical fundamentalist religion and you cutting having a sort of a sect type dynamic at home mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. as well. And those things as well can sort of have a similar effect as the as the educational trauma because it is a form of education i mean attachment traumas come because you're being educated typically not um, let's call it like implicit education like if you know that you can go hug your mom when you're sad uh, that's educating you to feel safe to go to people when you're feeling sad but if you know that your mom will tell you to go to your room and figure it out yourself every time that you're sad um, then that's an implicit education to not go to people when you are sad so um, and then the same thing with religion you need, or religion or any other sort of ideal, ideological system. There can be the explicit education there, but a lot of it's implicit. You're kind of just growing up with these uh, implicit, you know, sort of behind the scenes things that are educating you on what your possibilities are and what you can do. So keeping in mind all of those things, although I think our th- thread is mostly going to be around the educational side of things, um, what are other signs besides conflicted, this kind of conflicted presenta- presentation and guilt that you see when you're working with clients or that you've experienced for yourself? Um, let me think about it for a second. I feel like there's a few really iconic things. Um, um, as it relates to the gifted specific question, this is one that I encounter all the time. And that's the idea of um, looking to others to help us legitimize our intelligence. And I'm gonna tie it into the organization in a second. So the idea is that a client will come to me and um, we'll discuss this person's profile or um, how, you know, what obstacles are facing these kinds of things. And, uh, and there will be a persistent uh, return to the theme of like, but others won't accept me as I am or but others have in the past um, pointed out that my intelligence is too much for them or my overexcitability is too much for them, this kind of thing. And there's so there's that return always to the external reference point. And at that point, we often have to address the fact that, um, that these issues are often not a personal, like the, the client who's sitting in front of me uh they're they're tormentors let's say i'm just Mm -hmm. saying this with quote quotation marks okay i don't really mean that there's tormentors out there but the the dynamic was toxic to the person um they um they were not doing it because of that person but it was a projection of their own intellectual trauma often so this i want to hone in on this um that um, that schooling systems do create this kind of intellectual either or like tender points like a trigger point like a physical trigger point almost mm-hmm. or um, uh, you know like implicit or explicit um, issues around intelligence in general where the person uh, even if the teacher never says anything if there's sort of punishment or you know poor marks or you know negative experiences around being able to do tasks that are set in the schooling program and the um, 
there's a reward system that says some people are less smart than others and the ones that are smarter are the ones who get the rewards and the ones who are less smart are the ones who don't get the rewards and that sets up a whole mess for everybody who's in that class whether they're gifted or not yeah and some some of them will have some you know like really good experience that allows them to integrate that as just part of life and something that is not really defining of their self-esteem and some other people are going to gift it or not feel the the pain of that and the injustice of that and the uh, loss of self-esteem for themselves of having been on one side or the other so what we see often with a gifted clients is that they try to hide their giftedness because they experience people in their surroundings who react to their intelligence even when they're not trying to do anything like they just open their mouth and they don't say anything of, of relevance or you know, just say hi. And then the other person is like, what are you better than me? Um, so that, that kind of projection that comes from the, the person who's reacting, it comes from their own trauma. And it doesn't come because giftedness is a bad thing. And it doesn't come because the other person is really trying to uh, us, you know, be arrogant or something. But there's that fear around showing the self yeah. And so um, I see this so much and that having to undo and recognize that the, the other people in the environment also suffered a version of this somehow mm -hmm. or another mm -hmm. and recognizing that it's not personal and that it's, you know, we depersonalize it and that um, it's almost like, I feel like it almost like unravels a, a barbed wire fence around the gifted clients. Yeah. That they've been holding themselves as the toxic or the, um, of the negative influence and that their giftedness is somehow explosive or damaging to others. And so they have to tone it down. Um, yeah, do you want to say something? Yeah, I mean, so I was thinking about like, how does all of this uh, speak specifically to the boundaries question? You know? Yeah, I, I wanted to so, go there. <laughs> yeah, okay, so go there because yeah, I was gonna make the parallel, but I'll let you do it. Um, yeah, well, what I wanted to say there is that in the end, the work that we're doing is, you know, like unraveling the barbed wire fence is not the issue. In the end, the issue is recovering the inner organization of the person, yeah. of the gifted client, and recovering what it is that they're, you know, uh, we talk about gifted profiles in our work um, based on your model, Jen. And so what is their giftedness profile, their areas of intelligence? How do they interplay? What's their most natural flow? And then from that place, it's like we've determined this very aligned flow of the self. And then the other things that are not in alignment with the aligned flow of the self, those are the things that fall away. And that's where the boundary gets drawn. Is that where you were going with that? Yep, absolutely. And yeah. And so then as this comes back to this question of conflict, uh, the conflictedness and guilt that often shows up, um, is that, I mean, the conflictedness shows a uh, lack of boundaries. I mean, it yeah. sounds ironic or lack of boundaries or too many boundaries. I mean, because it's, if a person, for example, is afraid of showing themselves, then they maybe are having too many boundaries in, in some way. They may be and having barbed a, wire boundaries, really painful ones. Say that again. Is that barbed wire boundaries? Yeah, no, barbed that's barbed why I used the image so it's like it is boundaries but it's are they healthy and and organized no yeah yeah exactly and so when you have 
when you sort of have this, um, that you've recovered the inorganization of yourself, it's like there's there are still different choices you could make, but you don't feel conflicted taking one option, the option that resonates the most with you or, or, or suits you the best, and then going with that and realizing you're closing down a lot of other possibilities by choosing this direction. Yep. And you don't feel the guilt for choosing the direction because people who've been, especially people who've been through emotional traumas of some sort, attachment traumas and stuff related to that, um, can feel a lot of guilt uh, taking paths that maybe don't align with what people in their lives want them to do. So right. if parents are counting on you to do something for them, you know, even though you're an adult mm -hmm. and you want to take a path that doesn't honor what they want you to do. Uh, you know, it's like, I can't do that because it would hurt them or I don't know. I mean, there's especially gifted people who, um, who have trauma and happen to be empaths, you know, this mm -hmm. is like, Ooh, it can get really intense. So you can have this guilt or like you described, uh, just sort of guilt of not doing what society expected you to do. It wasn't even like your, it wasn't even like an intimate, uh, you know, relationship, like, like, like parents or yeah. parents or something. I mean, it's like kind of it's a generic society feeling, but you want to belong. And so if you go in the path, in the way that looks like you might not belong to the, the whole as it is, then you can feel sort of this guilt. And, and I mean, in a, let's say guilt as a healthy uh, situation is like that the guilt keeps you engaged in the whole but a lot of times <laughs> I mean engaged in the whole in an authentic way or in a in a in a self-organized healthy boundaries way yeah. it's like but when the guilt becomes toxic then it's keeping you engaged in the whole in a way that doesn't fit and it's not um like doesn't honor your own boundaries and preferences and your own inner organization yeah, and the thing is that there are a lot of people out there who are successful in that kind of organization that you just described, you know, yeah. the externally um, referenced organization. You could be really, really successful and do really well and be a really functional person doing that. And the issue becomes that the organization is not self-organization. It's always referential yeah. to the outside and where something to happen, where there to be a big crisis in your life. Uh, something would fall away, a relationship would fall away, then the inner structure is not there. And then the person then crumbles and uh, is not able to hold this uh, as an autonomous space that's like self-generated from within. Yeah. I've had this in, with, with some clients that this is what happened to them. They were functional and they were doing great, but they were referencing the outside and then something happened in their life and then they couldn't, they didn't know what to reference anymore. Yeah, exactly. And I kind of want to bring in um, just briefly, but, you know, we talk a lot about past trauma. So things we've been through in the past and then they have set us in, you know, they've set in motion or they've designed our inner systems to be um, sort of, you know, replicating the past mm -hmm. and sort of related to that, but also its own separate thing is like the sort of current situations that may be sort of hijacking um, our own inner organization. So we can have like the past things that are, that keep us in this referential loop, as you're saying, you know, referencing mm -hmm. the external um, for validation and, and then sort of organizing ourselves around that. But we can also, there's, I mean, there's also 
this more and and I talk about this kind of a lot in my work because a lot of times people think well gifted people are you know all morally uh, more engaged in a positive mm. sense and mm. all gifted people uh, really want the best for the, uh, the world and everybody around them and all gifted people are em empaths or these kinds of you know really angelic representations of giftedness and I'm always here to to pop that balloon and say no actually um, you know, there's plenty of gifted people who don't have uh, many moral compunctions for doing whatever they want. And there are people, you know, on the more, um, uh, let's say, narcissistic side of things and in that direction who are quite gifted and, uh, you know, you will use their gifts in that direction. So it's important to say that, um, you know, th those people exist and this kind of external, um, uh, how do I want to say it? Hi like intentional hijacking of your own inner organization uh, is something that people do. And so it can happen that, mm -hmm. you know, you as an adult get in a relationship with a narcissist, for example, somebody who let's say could have either traits or maybe could be diagnosable or whatever, um, that really intentionally uh, messes with your inner organization and uses your inner resources and reorganizes your inner resources toward their own self-organization. So you become yeah. a tool. And I mean, I bring that up because it, it could be, I could imagine somebody in a current situation, whether it's with a partner, with a boss, with a parent, or I don't know, somebody that they're in a relationship with, where their like their inner organization is being um, hijacked for the other person and them kind of, you know, hearing us talk about this and then looking in their past and going, hmm, you know, what were the past situations that are keeping me from clear inner organization? But then not thinking about what's going on right now and not sort of identifying that. I mean, I've worked with so many people who yeah. are really high functional functioning adults, they're doing great, you know, and then they were doing the work together and we realized at some point, hey, you're in a relationship with a narcissistic person who is totally hijacking your resources and maybe you're 40 or 50 and it's not just I mean that's why I say it's it's linked to the past in the sense that if you have past experiences in a relationship with a narcissistic person you may be more vulnerable to that kind of um, dynamic because you're used to it so you maybe don't have the the, the boundaries that somebody would have but never got that but you if you if you never had that you might also not have the boundaries because you may not know what to expect and you just think this person's very loving and it turns out that you know the love came with a big price tag so there's also something about it's like paying attention to what happened in the past um, but also paying attention to who is who has access to your energy right now and yeah. are they helping you to self-organize in a connected but autonomous way or are they uh, kind of you know are they really influencing your self-organization or, or even hijacking some of it yeah i'm super glad that you brought that up because it, it is a super recurring theme in our work yeah uh, it comes up with clients a lot and it is in the present yeah it also yeah, makes me found... think about, oh sorry <laughs> okay just quickly to say i found yeah. that people so at the beginning i was referencing you know people that are wanting to step into leadership they they, they feel the drive, they feel the calling. And 
they're really struggling to do it. And a lot of times we find that it's a current issue. Mm. Um, That's, that is the, the, you know, it's a current relationship that is like not letting them move forward. And so again, that could have roots in the past, but in terms of leadership, like there's this really clear, in order to find your leadership path and step into it, like you can't be in these dysfunctional relationships where somebody's taking your, you know, taking your, your inner organization and reorganizing it to their ends. It like, it's, you know, doesn't work together. I mean, yeah, of course you could be a leader, but then you're in that case, but then your leadership is going to serve that person more than it's serving you and the collective. Yeah. And like, yeah, if we talk about like the idea of wholeness, it's like, it saps everything that the person and, you know, the, the hypothetical person that we're talking about everything that uh all their resources and all their energy so it's not really a wholeness based way of doing boundaries at all or doing life um and 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 you know we were speaking about purpose and it's like hijacking a person's purpose as well yeah yeah exactly and i mean how many people have come our way and say like i'm so uh i'm struggling so much to find my direction and then Mm -hmm when we look into it, we're like, yeah, that's because um, somebody else is really invested in your direction. But I mean, in turning your direction toward their direction. And uh, so first, before you even, you know, work at your direction, like just get some space between you and this other person so that, because uh, part of boundaries is getting space, like getting Mm -hmm. enough space that you can, like you keep, you know, you, you use the word recovering like recovering that in organization and in order to do that you need the space yeah yeah absolutely which makes me think about rewilding and the rewilding talk that we had recently yes and uh you know uh you and i were just talking about this before we started recording about the idea of rewilding um and how the the concept of rewilding speaks about letting nature take its course and for that let's say you're reforesting an area and that actually that land has everything that it needs to become a forest again, even if it's been, um, you know, it would have to be really quite severely destroyed to require a lot of maintenance. But oftentimes it's really like the seed bank is just a few feet under the ground and um, the weeds that are going to come in first are going to foster the growth of the plants that come next in the succession cycle and so it's there is a real intelligence to how the land does that and in the same way when we're um, connecting to our inner organization when we create space and stop having these external inputs that are um, taking our direction somewhere where it's not in our best interest then that's we can actually tune in physically, emotionally, uh, somatically, spiritually, mentally to what what are the seeds inside the soil, and then what wants to grow, and then um, doing it as a as a process of a dialogue with what is there inside that space. And then for that, we actually need to create kind of like a uh, the boundaries question comes in again. Like, how do you uphold that empty quote empty space for as long as it needs to recover? Yeah, absolutely. It makes me think also of a basic mindfulness practice. Like, mm-hmm. you know, when you go in, you say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to sit here with my, 
my thoughts and feelings and just let them be. I mean, if you're if you're practicing a kind of vipassana or something typical uh, in the mindfulness world, you know, um, uh, and you you go like, okay, I'm going to do this for, okay, I'm going to start with ten minutes, and then I do ten minutes, and every time something comes in, you go, okay, thank you, but no, uh, keep moving, you know, and you just insist on having these particular boundaries and then letting like seeing what what comes up the most what 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 is this sort of natural cycle you know as you're describing like first it's the seed then it's the weed then it's the next plant that grows then it's and this happens with mindfulness as well i mean i think a lot of times people think mindfulness is like a it's like an on off switch you know like you're yes. just trying to get to turn off and it's like oh my god no it's so complex it's like you know it's like um mental and soul gardening kind of so yes. uh you get clear on what you're what you're doing and what goes in what order and what uh, what is growing next and how to um maintain the growth and uh, like balance things out in the ecosystem that's that all happens when you're quote practicing mindfulness you know yes yeah exactly um, and as you're saying that, I'm actually thinking back to how we started and we were talking about the situation, the global situation right now and how um, some, a lot of what we're seeing right now is people being sort of burned out on distraction. So you were just talking about mindfulness yeah. as the, you know, as the practice and the tending and the gardening and right now is such a key time for that. Uh, I'm thinking too about how we were saying, uh, yeah, sometimes the trauma or the, the negative situation that could be impacting your self-organization could be happening right here, right now, versus mm -hmm. somewhere in your early childhood. And I'm thinking about the moment in time and history right now and how all these externally reliable and predictable structures have fallen away for many, many people. Yeah. And how, you know, our listeners could be experiencing the the burden of that trauma right now of uh have, having found themselves without those externally referenced but safe and predictable structures yeah and having to to really sit with the process of how do i organize myself now i love that you're bringing that up okay because this before you talked about re-educating you said in your own story like you had to go yes. through this process of re-educating yourself and yes. in our talk about the rewilding we talked a lot about the things that we were having to you know learn uh mm -hmm. now mm -hmm. in order to rewild and then also unlearn um yes. so we've been you know, talking about this theme and i think this here we get to the the, the real core of this transformational process where um we have to it's like, this is where you see this key moment where I'm gonna use the word grit, but bear with mm -hmm. me, um, where there's a certain amount of grit that comes into it. Like how I said, sometimes I'm like, you know, with this, with my re-educating myself, I'm like, oh, I just don't wanna to have to read anything more about psychology, or I just uh -huh. don't wanna to have to read anything more about trauma or whatever. Um, and yet, if I don't, I'm just going to keep perpetuating the same bad boundaries that I've had or dysfunctional mm -hmm. boundaries that I've had, or I'm going to keep perpetuating in my own life, this inner disorganization. So um, it's not like a threat to myself, like you better read this today, or you're going to you know, mess up the rest of your life. Yet at the same time, it's, um, and I'll reference here, you know, Dabrowski and the idea of climbing the mountain, the, the, the positive disintegration process of climbing a mountain and, you know, as a person who spends a lot of my time in the mountains, I can mm -hmm. say there is often that moment when I'm like, 
oh my God, my legs are done. I don't want, you know, like, yes. I don't have the energy to keep going. So in yeah. those moments, okay, maybe I sit down, I eat um, a granola bar and drink some water and take in the, and you know, in the sites, but then I got to keep going if I'm going to reach destination. And I think something that I've struggled a lot with uh, over the last couple of years, watching Okay, on one hand, I'm really happy that it's okay to talk about trauma publicly, that it's okay to admit that you've had trauma, that it's okay to be open about healing from it. And at the same time, there has come this kind of fetishism um, at the extreme, of course, that's yeah. like, I'm, tra I'm traumatized and I'm wounded. And so um, you can't make me at all uncomfortable. Uh, mm -hmm. So I have the right to sort of continue to suffer and I don't have to, it's almost like, I don't have to heal because I'm a victim, which is like yeah. this really weird loop. So this is, of course, this is at the extreme extreme. So I'm not saying that, you know, all of um, trauma healing has, has gone in that direction, but uh, you know, you can find people online that are representing it that way. And it's very dangerous. I mean, that's a very dangerous ideology because in order to re-educate yourself, in order to, as we usually talk about reparenting, so re-educating would be a kind of, let's say extension of reparenting um, for some people, mm -hmm. they really need to do the reparenting. For some people, they could maybe just, quote, do the re-educating. But in order to do that, there's that moment, you know, where you're tired and... And you don't want to do it. <laughs> you don't want to do it. You don't want to push past that edge. And yet, if you don't, um, you're going to keep getting the uh, inner disorganization. And so it's finding that balance for yourself. Like, what what is it that allows you to take that next step not that you want to I mean don't do the next step if you're going to be traumatized by taking it um, but how can you find healing ways regenerative ways to continue uh, re-educating yourself and reparenting yourself um, and doing this like rewilding process if we want to call it that how can you really find that sweet spot where you have a grit but you're also compassionate with yourself so it's not like oh you're tired well then just keep going and don't take mm. that break mm -hmm. take the break re-nourish yourself but then as soon as you can keep going and one of the ways that I've found that helps me a lot and this is also true on in physical climbing um is having a partner there having somebody okay. there that also wants to see the destination you know and so it's like uh you know somebody that's like come on you can do it um mm -hmm that's all that's very helpful but it's i think it's so important to for everybody to that you know is contemplating these themes and figuring out how they want to move forward it's like also being boundaried with yourself in terms of um giving yourself like i don't want to say forcing yourself but let's say i don't know um strongly encouraging yourself to take that break but then also strongly encouraging yourself to keep going forward and finding the right way, finding the right social support and everything to be able to do that. There's like a definite stretch and a challenge to, uh, you, it's like, you know, um, the, the word that comes to mind, like the post-traumatic growth or something like that, yeah. where you're better than you were when you started, ideally. If yeah. you can, you know, and this is not possible for everyone uh, to like 100%, whatever it is that we get in our minds when we think about post-traumatic growth so I say it kind of carefully because you know everybody could get a different idea of what that means yeah but um I'm what comes to mind is um Paul Linden's work with winning uh, yeah. healing 
Uh, and so Paul Linden talks about a final step of trauma healing that goes beyond the sort of integrating the experience and the remembrance and all that to, and then you get to confront experiences that are similar or even the same to the ones that traumatize you and you can stand in your strength. Yeah. And he says in power and love at the same time. Yeah. In that kind. So that, that's like a lot of mastery that goes into getting to the place where from being deeply hurt and wounded and um, limited in our, in our range of response yeah. to a situation to a standing in front of the thing that traumatized us with power and love. Uh, that's a whole mountain. And so there's a lot of work there. Um, but I, I, I think it's, it's great that we're speaking to this like final step that um yeah it's like a work it's constant workout it's discipline it's gentleness it's both both that power and love at the same time yeah and when we think about mastery i mean it can be mas mastery can apply to anything and if you're mastering your own self organization um it means that you are really providing the context for that self-organization mm -hmm, to thrive. Mm -hmm. And that means you've mastered boundaries uh, with yeah. yourself first and foremost, yeah. and then with the world around you. And um, I think a lot of times people get, I mean, and reasonably so, but they get this idea that once you've healed from your trauma, if you have it, that you know, then you're just sitting back easy and everything just is easy and you won't be triggered anymore by things. And yeah, yeah and it's more like what you say and what Paul Linden says and what lots of people who write uh, about healing from trauma say. It's like you, you get really strong and you develop the unique person you are. And yeah. it doesn't mean that everything's wonderful. It means that you master being yourself in any given moment and sometimes I mean that's flexible as well I, I mean, what does it even mean to be yourself in every moment I mean it's, that that would take some you know definition in itself but um but it's important I think for people also to remember that it's not you're not trying to get super comfortable for the rest of your life you're trying to get back to a place where you can be fully engaged in what's really going on and that might mean that you go back into crises, um, like, you know, let's say a, a situation like a, a world in crisis, or you go back in relationships where there is turmoil and stuff. But this time, you know how to handle it in a generative way. You, you, you have like, you know, after you work through the healing, then you're able to do that with yeah. a level of mastery. So you don't have to keep running away from potential threats. And obviously you don't go hurt yourself intentionally or like how I was talking about narcissism before or something then uh -huh. you don't go seek out a relationship with a narcissist obviously you protect yourself appropriately uh -huh. but it doesn't mean like then you can never be in a relationship again or you can never trust anybody again or, or something like that it's like yeah yeah you can uh but first you gotta get your inner organization clear uh with clear boundaries and then then like you said then you can re-engage in, in conflictual situations or difficult challenging situations in power and love yeah yeah which is um to me that's really something to always keep in the sights yeah there's you know there, there's a lot of inspiration there um, yeah. and i hope for listeners that it's also you've been struggling with the global situation that's also inspiration for you to 
develop that right right sweet spot like you're saying done of grit and compassion yeah 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 because i mean we all we need you all right now yeah exactly. all of us need to be in this together so yeah which is nice it i feel like that is again a very inspiring and and like um door opening yeah. space to stand in when we're faced with crisis uh, for especially for those of us who can actually stand in those spaces because we have the safety and we have the resources and we've done the work so um, we can be a resource for others as well yeah this makes me think about one other thing that ties into what we were talking about right before we jump into this call and the idea of leadership um as you know as it relates to gifted leaders for instance or people in our community in our gifted community who are looking to let's say actualize their gifts like they've done some of the work they've done some of the boundarying but they're trying to find their way and i was thinking about so many of um, peers and clients and friends who have been grappling with the idea of like let's say being multi-potentialite or having uh, this, you know, like internal complexity that wants them to draw on such a variety of experiences and such a variety of domains. And what do we say to them when they're looking to find their inner organization so that they can plug in meaningfully at a moment like this? What are your thoughts? I think it comes back to what I was saying before about like this kind of conflicted feeling and guilt and i mean this is something we've heard even outside of the current you know global context just like yeah in general in people's lives like for a multi-potential light person somebody who is really has all these interests and, and abilities and so on and so forth it's like they many of us live with this kind of daily feeling of conflict conflict and and guilt in terms of spend my time here versus spend my time there and stuff and yeah. i mean I think for me, this is at least part of the trouble in terms of what I grew up with, what I was talking about in the, in the educational system, because there was this kind of idea like, you can be everything, you can be yes. whatever you want. I mean, again, the individualistic uh, mm -hmm. American way, so you you can do everything in a very plugged in, uh, more, let's say, in an ideolo ideological system or, or say the collective system that's very plugged into, okay, this is an ecosystem of people how can we all work together to make sure that everybody's needs are met adequately? And um, that, you know, that wasn't there so much. It was just like, you know, be your best and do what you want. So mm -hmm. for me, I got that pressure. Like I could do everything. And it, and the fact that I'm only doing this one thing is just so sad or, you know, so tragic or something. And yeah. just like all the time in the world and everything else. And then um, as it, as the world situation has deteriorated um or some people would argue that it's it hasn't deteriorated that it's just more of the same but in any case you know we're at this real real crisis point um uh and then there's like that maybe um anger that comes up that's like mm -hmm. that's unfair like this injustice that's unfair i don't want to because the truth is i don't given the situation i am engaging uh, in the climate work and the ecological work but i would i would have rather done something not like i would rather do something that's not driven by people making a lot of really bad choices mm -hmm. and then like basically i would rather not be working with a train wreck i'd rather be working with building something that's you know um 
aesthetically wonderful and based, you know, from love and joy and, you know, the more positive side of the scale instead of sort of going, okay, who's injured and how, and how can we do some emergency, emergency management here? I mean, I'm doing my best to blend those two in my, in my engagement, but it's, you know, it's challenging. So I have had anger plenty. You've heard about it behind the scenes. I've had plenty of anger. Like I don't want to have to use my gifts in this direction. Um, and at the same time, I can't stand by my values and not use them in this direction. So I think it's like, like I work with clients that have, you know, the multi-potential I profile, uh, I'm just, you know, say specifically for them, but it applies to everybody who kind of has this wide range of, I could do this and that, and I'd like to engage in all of these ways. It's like, um, figuring out like, where did you, again, the educational stuff, like, where did you come from? What are the ideally ideologies that you came from? How did they make you think about your possibilities and your potentials? Um, and then how do you feel about how you can apply your possibilities and potentials in the current world? Because I just feel like so many people, like I said at the beginning, are operating in this parallel world. Like, yeah. I just hear people talk about things that are so not engaged in what's actually happening in the real world. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm going to use my, my talents for this and that. And the other thing I'm thinking, yeah, but the real world's collapsing you it, it, that doesn't make actual sense in in the current reality um and that's hard for people to even grasp like sometimes I'm saying some version of that and they're like looking at me like what are you talking about um so it's there's this thing where it's like really be serious be serious about the reality of what's going on and where can you plug your gifts in to that and if that means you go through a period of anger because you wish the world was different go through the anger this kind of comes back to the grit and mastery question mm -hmm. that we were just mm -hmm. talking about it's like I, I don't know i mean there's a certain maturity aspect that comes in with it and maturity can i used the word moral before and you know again moral and maturity these can have these kind of connotations um but i just mean it in the most neutral way possible like psychological maturity where you're able to be a generative person in the collective and um and so it's getting to that point for anybody whether they're gifted or not is really challenging because we have selfishness and we have um ego issues and we have you know unhealed wounds most of us have all of those things in some measure uh you know uh, unless you're a saint or whatever, <laughs> some sort of angelic <laughs> being or something, then you'll have it too. Uh, I've had it, you'll have it too. So taking the time to really figure that out, because I think a lot of people get stuck intellectualizing, like abstracting. We talked about this also in our rewilding um, discussion, yeah. which by the way, we'll link in our show notes, but um you know, this kind of, you can get so far out intellectualizing that you're just not grounded into the what's, how you can apply anything to the real world today. And so it's like finding a way to bridge those two things. Like there's the real world that brings up really negative, a lot of negative feelings. If you look at how you can plug your multi-potentialite gifts into the current situation, the current real world, you know, um, and deal with them, find a way to deal with them, get support, get coaching, get therapy if you need to, um, sit down and journal, do some mindfulness, like the, there's techniques, there's well-known techniques out there. It's not like, you know, oh, but I don't know where to start. We have the internet, so you can yes. find a way to start. There's Google, <laughs> go type in some words and you'll find, you know, some suggestions and you just start. 
And, um, but I think a lot of people don't want to go through that process. Like I was saying, and you know this, like when I realized I needed to go through this total relearning phase, mm-hmm. I was just not, ha- I was very upset. <laughs> I was like, you know, I, I won't use all the expletives that I was saying at that time, but I was saying a lot of them. And, and yet I just, again, it was a question of values and there's no other way. There was no other way. So this is what I was going to do. And yeah, I think if you want to really be grounded into the real world and where you can plug in, that's, you've got to go through that kind of rocky terrain. What would you add to that? Um, I would, again, also uh, reference a bit of what we were saying in that rewilding conversation, because um, what I see often with clients who are struggling with this, and it was a bit of my issue, but not fully, because I had the other issue that I described with the um, external expectations more, um, that usually when we, when I invite clients to um, tap into what's, what the body is saying about what's real for them, there's a lot less confusion. So it's very much what you're saying, John, about the over-abstracting, over-mentalizing, and that in the mind, things seem like they could be viable. But once you drop into the body, it gets a lot clearer what is yes and what is no. Yeah. And and I want to sort of invoke that because in the rewilding conversation, you talked about your body uh, being having shown you how it is uh, an ecosystem in itself and it's plugged into the earth's ecosystem. So um, I think that's also an inspiration for perhaps many of the listeners to really get curious if you haven't yet about somatic work and about grounding in the body and about recognizing that the body is not, it's not a narcissistic site. Like it doesn't, culture makes it into a narcissistic site, but it doesn't have to be, it's actually an ecosystem that is nestled within your local ecosystem. So uh, it's one of the closest and easiest ways that we can learn whether we are connecting to that grounded, um, connected reality of life. Yeah. And uh, it, I, I, what I'm not saying is trust your body no matter what, because if the body is confused and traumatized, then it will give signals that we, you, know, you won't know what they mean but you could trust the process of working with the body over a period of time. And then to learn those reference points that the body gives to say, yes, this is plugged in. This is really alive. Uh, This is what matters. So it's like a lot of people don't know what their values is because their values are because the values question, it has been also overly mentalized. And I invite clients always to drop into the body and know what, what is really what matters. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It makes me think as you're talking about the intellectualization thing, you know, it makes me think about this spinning feeling. You know, mm, you're just totally. spinning around, spin, spin, spin. And you know, that can be fun for a minute, but um, you know, we've all done it as kids where we're either on the merry-go-round, you know, the spinning toy thing in the in the in the playground, or um just we're spinning our bodies and at a certain point you just have to stop. <laughs> Otherwise you're gonna fall over and hit your head or something. Yeah. Um so yeah, yeah, I think it's something that um, people can pay attention to when you feel this spinning thing. It's like, okay, you gotta now you gotta stop the over intellectualizing or mentalizing, abstracting of the situation and really get down into what is the actual situation. And one of the reasons that we um, dissociate from the body and just go into the mind uh, without having the connection to the body is because we don't we don't want to feel those feelings. And that's why I bring it up, like. It, there are a lot of, you know, it's, oh, there's a lot of anger. I think 
I mean, I think there's a lot of anger in living. I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. life is, can be very frustrating a lot of the time. Tiny things, big things. None of us get what we want all the time. Um, sometimes even getting what we want irritates us. I mean, it, it happens all the time, but a lot of times we don't want to be paying attention to that aspect. And so we will continue yeah. to mentalize out and out and out. And I've worked with people who are like, they're so far out mentalizing, like, so like I was talking about the parallel, they're like operating mm-hmm. in parallel to reality. And um, God, it's, it's really sometimes very tough to get to, I don't want to say get them to, it sounds like I'm, you know, dragging them through, but it's it's tough for me to say okay you really need to take the time to feel the bad feelings and that might you know a lot of times then that's when I'm saying I think some uh, somatic work would be the thing to do right now I think you know and I've said speaking of boundaries as a professional many times I've said to clients I can't have another session with you until you work with your body because you're wanting me to continue mentalizing with you but you're mentalizing beyond reality (laughs) and I don't want to take you there I don't want to accompany you there because it's unfair to you. It's unfair to me. It's a waste of your time. It's a waste of my time. You know, go get some somatic work, drop into the body, get real grounded back into your, you know, the real world um, in terms of like what's really going on where you can really engage and then we'll meet again and we'll, you know, mentalize, but, in harmony with, uh, in collaboration with what we, what we're getting from your real grounded experience. Mm, yeah. yeah which I'm glad that you're um, uh, contextualizing it that way too, because in the general gifted conversation, as you were saying, on one hand, there's the angelic view of giftedness. And then there's also the really sort of over empowering gifted people. Again, like, as you were saying, be anything and everything that you think you can be yeah. And, um, and this brings it back to what is the contextual reality say you that you can be and desire to be versus what your mind could tell you that you might want. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of mentalizing, exactly. abstracting. <laughs> How many conditionals did you just use in that phrase? <laughs> There's a good sign for testing your for testing your own reality testing. How many conditionals did you just use to describe totally, totally. your own situation? I could if only they would, and if they could, and if you know. Yeah. It's powerful, powerful work. I think it's it's challenging work, but it's it's really powerful. And I mean, I'm glad that as we wrap up this series of three that we're, you know, we're really focusing and kind of getting this overview of this re-educational process because it's, you know, the reparenting is something, you know, parents pose limits. So when you're reparenting, the boundaries are important and posing limits to yourself are important, but they're, they're done in this sort of sweet, compassionate way, I think. And um, I think when it comes to re-education, my experience anyway, and my experience with clients has shown that there's something more like, um, like a master apprentice, um, Mm -hmm. dynamic. And so it's like the master isn't always, the master may be compassionate and empathic, but the master is not your parent. Yeah. You know, you, you can, you can sort of play games with your parents. I mean, I don't mean like, uh, social games or something i mean like you know the relational games like kids do you know stomping your feet and this kind of stuff with 
the master apprentice dynamic that doesn't really go because by the time you enter into a master um, apprentice dynamic you you know you're showing up to become a master it's a training path and i think when somebody is only doing the reparenting i i, I find that they just oftentimes get stuck in some of this stuff that i was talking about about like looking for eternal comfort like looking for yes. an, uh, this homeostasis where nothing's triggering them anymore and what i find is like I i've been there in my own development a long time ago but still i remember it um where i was there and i was like bored and lonely like mm -hmm. i was like okay i'm not getting triggered anymore that's really positive given my past but what else is there like how do i engage i was still parallel even though i had healed it was that was more like this what i talked about at the beginning like being at the edge of the collective and like i couldn't go into engagement in the collective because i thought that the that doing so would it would trigger me which it would <laughs> um but i didn't realize that i was supposed to have gotten to a, a mastery level where i could engage with those triggers in power and love, as you said, uh, and as Paul Linden has said. Um, and so I was like, I'd done part of the process and it was this more re-education process, uh, more like the mastery, you know, the apprentice going to toward mastery that helped me to realize that the reparenting was only the start of my re-education journey. Yeah, and even as you're saying it, it makes me think about like uh, life stages and the yeah. reparenting works with the inner child the re-education works with an inner adult or like a young adult taking yeah. them to whatever our uh, current uh, psychological age is. Uh, yeah. So it's like it, you moved out of home and now you're in the world. <laughs> yeah. Now you're getting your training toward mastery. Yeah, uh, exactly. It's a totally different space than uh, uh, probably also necessary for our like healthy inner family to still have an inner space of warmth and comfort and safety that we can always return to but that's not all there is to us. We're not only in our children, we have also in our adults and elders that also that need engagement and exercise and, um, yeah. <laughs> and then they, they wanna make a contribution to, to the world. Absolutely, and that's part of like healthy, uh, healthy development. I mean, it's part of what any healthy human ends up wanting, uh, you know, once they have kind of gotten through the, the childhood developmental phases. Um, and I think, I mean, you can probably confirm this. I've seen so many people who um, they're they're sort of fixated on this childhood process, which that is a very important part, yeah. but not able, not willing, not in, not seemingly interested in then jumping up into the adult process. Or sometimes I've seen people jump into the adult process from the mentality of their childhood process. Yeah. Very much. And that's really tough. That is really, really tough because uh, it's not the same thing. And one parallel, easy parallel that I can quickly reference is um, the difference between coaching, the coaching relationship and mentoring. So I've done mm -hmm. a lot of coaching over the last two decades and a lot of mentoring as well over the last decade. And, um, you know, coaching is like 
a particular dynamic where I'm keeping people accountable. I'm helping them work through their snags, whatever's coming up, their conflicts, their issues. You know, sometimes we're going back into the past to figure out how to restructure things. And then when it comes to the um, mentoring dynamic, when people graduate to the mentoring dynamic, then it's like, I'm not holding anybody accountable. They better hold themselves accountable. Um, I'm not helping people through their snags. They're helping themselves through their snags. Mm-hmm. They're coming to me for that next level. It's more like the master apprenticeship thing, dynamic. Um, and uh, that's that, that's a kind of way one can think about it in their own mind as well, in terms of these, you know, what, they're, what they're doing with themselves in terms of the childhood, the reparenting or the re-education. Like there's a real shift. And if somebody shows up, in a mentoring relationship, if somebody shows up as a coachee, uh, mm-hmm. it doesn't work. It absolutely doesn't work. Uh, so it's really important that a person is tuning in to where they're at in that process and um, and knowing that the end of the childhood isn't the end. Yeah, which again is super hopeful because it it's not boring and it's the, there's <laughs> no end to the um, complexity and mastery that we can engage while being generative. Yeah. And I, I think there's there's the antidote to that existential depression, at least for me. Oh, for me too. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So speaking of which, um, we have a lot of stuff coming up and maybe we wanted to give a bit of an overview about what we've been up to uh, for listeners to plug into all the cool things that we have uh, lined up for the next months or however long. However long. Yeah, we have a lot coming up. So uh one major thing I have coming up is that I have developed a course for gifted leaders, uh, which is about responding to our current world situation. Uh, and so it's for somebody who is a gifted person who already has some form of leadership. Maybe it's not in the gifted space, but maybe they're uh, in leadership in government, in leadership in the educational system, in leadership in business, wherever their domain is, and figuring out how do they. Uh, weave in their, um, their the, the current, you know, how do they weave in the need to respond to the world, uh, just as we were saying, so that they're not leading in parallel to what's actually going on in the real world. So it's mm-hmm. a personal yet professional development course, as most of my courses are, uh, where you really go through your own process while also simultaneously developing professionally. Uh, so that's going to be a really powerful thing. We'll obviously put a link to that. Um, I have room mm-hmm. for seven participants and we have about half full right now. So if you're interested in that, you'll find a way to email me through the link. Um, and then we have a resourcing workshop coming up for gifted therapists. That's with our body therapist, uh, Esther Goldinger. We'll put a link to that as well. That's coming up in October. Uh, through our iHeartEarth initiative, I will be leading a series of conversations um, that's, that are with experts who are uh, coaches or therapists or some other kind of helping professional in the field of climate and ecological engagement. I'm really excited about that. Uh, mm-hmm. We're going to be starting in two weeks from now, more or less, with Eric Windhorst, who, for those of you who don't know him, is our longtime collaborator within Intergifted, and he's an eco-psychotherapist uh, and has done his PhD dissertation on uh, uh, gifted-specific engagement in eco-themes. 
So uh, how gifted people engage with the environment and the natural world and their own inner nature. So we're gonna have a quite rich conversation about that. He's been a great leader in terms of helping gifted people to um, pay attention to their own inner nature and connect that with the outer nature as well. So mm. I'm really looking forward to that. And then a series will follow with several other experts that I've met around the globe and uh, we'll see where that takes us. Yeah, I'm super looking forward to all that. Yeah, yeah. we'll have more. I mean, there's more, <laughs> we have so much <laughs> in development right now. Um, yeah. if, it, if, it, if it materializes, Karen and uh, Kelly Pride and I will be uh, working on a course for gifted women. And this will be called something like a reimagining leadership. Mm-hmm. And it's looking at how you as a gifted woman uh, have uh, experienced what it means to lead and looking at the positives there and bringing them forward and then looking at the things that are ready to be let go of and letting them go and finding your specific path as a gifted woman uh, in, in engaging in the world. So, you know, building on some of the themes we're talking about today, but again, more from this mastery point of view, not from a therapy point of view, but um, so hopefully we'll have something available about that in the near future. And Kelly has the emergence project coming out in the next couple of days. So yes. stay tuned for that. We'll also put a link to that. That's an important uh, book that it's a community book as all of our books are. And it's really about, it's from the feminine perspective. So gifted women emerging uh, again, sort of leadership themed, but it's not just leadership. It's really about getting it's about leadership and self-leadership and doing that through the feminine intelligence that we carry within us. So yeah, the ecosystem is alive and thriving. Yeah, it's absolutely wonderful and beautiful to see all these new opportunities and possibilities for offerings that uh, we, we couldn't have done last year, I think. No, we couldn't have. And I should mention, of course, that Karin, you have your blog uh, your art blog that I think is probably has been put online since we, or maybe it was just updated since we did our last episode, but it's worth, it's worth mentioning because mm-hmm. um, it's full. It's, it's alive and active and it's, yeah. there's so much beautiful writing, inspiring, engaging writing about a lot of these themes that we're talking about today. Thank you. Yeah. Well, actually I was just thinking it's about to be my blog's second birthday in October. Oh, yeah. 2019 was when I first launched it and um, it started out as an initiative to look at life from the lens of creativity while connecting with these bigger themes that we're addressing today. So the idea of us in each individual and us collectively being co-creators with life and how do we do that and how do we um, sort of move through blocks or, you know, um, marry paradoxes together and learn how to really be present with that that sense of creativity and agency that we can have when we engage through the lens of creativity. So I started painting things with like a meditative and intuitive lens, like a way that that I do that. So it's not like often not like planned artworks but there would always be a reflection on these bigger themes of leadership and the collective, um, rewilding nature, the soul. So it like spans a lot of stuff. Yeah. So if you haven't checked out my blog yet, I would really, really love it uh, for listeners to 
to read, to send me comments and um, to let me know how things are landing. Wonderful. Yeah, so from this place of abundance, uh, we'll say until next time. Yes, uh, I hope that the listeners will at least go away with some um, pieces of inspiration or clarity. Uh, you know, we receive your um, your messages about your your experiences listening and how it changes your uh, you know your inner understanding of your experiences and how it allows you to act differently in the world and and engage differently in the world and. Uh, it's also inspiring for us to continue our work knowing that it's making a positive difference for many of you. So thank you for listening. Uh, thank you for showing up and doing your work in the world and joining us, the two of us, in being uh, participants in creative solutions and, uh, and positive engagement. Yeah. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, Karin. Thank you. Bye. Bye, everyone.